You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. If you've had the experience of meeting someone that you've only spoken to on the phone, and when you meet them in person, face-to-face, they look absolutely nothing like what you had pictured they would look like, right? This happens to me a lot because people speak to the pastor of Faith Church on the phone, and they picture someone older uh, than me, and I show up, and they're like, oh, your pastor couldn't make it? And I'm like, no, I am the pastor. And like, are you, you the youth pastor? And I'm like, no, I, I am the pastor. And this happens less and less all, all the time, but uh, still, this week, uh, somebody was like, you're the pastor. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the pastor. I've been there for 13 years. Another kind of more uh, current, modern, uh, new experience of this is when you meet someone and you've only know them online based on their profile pictures and they don't look anything like the profile picture that they have chosen, right? Because without the filter in real life, they look about 10 years older and 15 pounds heavier, yeah? Some of you are really feeling convicted right now, right? (laughs) The same can be true about church, though. Because many times people have this idea or this projection of what church is going to be like, what church is, what it will be when they walk in the door. And I'm sure that if you are a first-time guest here, you've had a little bit of apprehension walking in the door, wondering, okay, what's this going to be like? And many times uh, the, the biggest hurdle for us to get over when someone comes to the church for the first time or we're inviting them to come for the first time is taking down those preconceived notions about what they're expecting it to be like. Sometimes people have these fears about how awful it's going to be, or how long it's going to be, or how boring it's going to be, and hopefully we break all of those preconceived ideas for you today. The flip side of that is there are people who come from a long history of attending church, and so they have an idea of what church has always been for them. And so when they think of church, that's what they picture. And what I hope it will happen through this series of messages is we won't look back at what church was for people who attended it since they were a kid, and we won't look at what people fear church might be for those who aren't familiar with it, but rather we'll look at what church was that Jesus intended it to be. What was the church that Jesus spoke of when he said, upon this bedrock of truth that you, that I am the Christ, that you have, you have spoken With divine revelation, Peter, upon this bedrock of truth, I will build my church. Because that's that's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're called to be. You know, I'm thinking on this through the week. I got curious what a Google search of church, an image search of of church would show. And there were two really uh, obvious themes that showed up immediately. First, there was the little wood plank church, little white wood plank church out in the middle of a field somewhere. You know, with no parking, apparently, like, people ride cows and horses to those churches. That's what they think of. And then the other, the other theme, common theme, was this large cathedral, you know, that they have the funerals of heads of state in, that kind of thing. You know, our church doesn't look like really either one of those places. I did a similar search for this, the word worship, and there are two themes that come up there. There's either a group of hands raised in the air in a dark room with fog and laser beams, or it's a person standing alone in a field raising their hands. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but because I'm a pastor, I get a lot of marketing, and like whenever they use the word worship and they want to speak to a traditional church mindset, this is the image they use. I don't know why. I've never gone out in the field and been like, yes, Lord, thank you. 
What happened here this morning, I don't think looks like either of those either. And if we kind of go with what is a common understanding of church or worship in our culture today, we're going to be headed down the wrong path and going in the wrong direction. What I want you to see in Acts chapter 2 is one of the first mentions of what church was going to be like, because this message that we're picking up in the middle of is a sermon that Peter, that same guy who spoke to Jesus in Matthew 16, he's preaching the inaugural message of the church. And in it, he gives us this indication of what the church will be like by pointing out what it will not be like. And so if you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 2, let's read verses 22 to 24, and then we'll skip down and read a few more verses. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He's saying, listen, this Jesus that you're familiar with, that did these incredible things before your eyes, that was taken and crucified, God has raised him from the dead, he yet lives. This was incredible and powerful, and it may be something that you're familiar with is part of the story of Jesus, but this was ground-breaking, earth-shattering news just a few weeks after that had happened. Peter then begins to speak to them about King David, which was someone that all of them would be able to relate to and look back to as one of their ancestors. He would have been as familiar to the people he was speaking to as Abraham Lincoln or George Washington would be to you. And he gives them this message about some things that David had said, but then he comes back to his main point down in verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself, the Lord, said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. He's referring back to David, who he's been talking about. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do. And this is an important moment in this, this interaction here because Peter preaches a message that, that lands on the sins that they have committed, specifically the sin that they were a part of the crowd, they were a part of the group that crucified the Christ. And they recognized their sin and they felt conviction, and Scripture pictures this conviction as being pricked or stabbed in the heart. And while some people have a fear of what church might be like, it might be boring, it might be long, there might be things that you're supposed to say and you don't know, one of the fears that we really have, if we're honest, is that we're going to be convicted, that we're going to experience this, this pricking of the heart because we, we know that there is something wrong and askew in us. We know that we are imperfect and that God is perfect. We know that we don't meet up to His standard. If you're here this morning, it's a good possibility that you're feeling some of that. And, and, and listen to me, that is a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but it is a good thing. 
And it's something that every one of us feels and experiences, unless we're full of ourselves and arrogant. And if that's the case, we really need to feel this conviction and pricking in our hearts. And so if you're here today and you're feeling that, you're feeling this conviction, you're feeling this, I have guilt and I am ashamed of things that I've done and mistakes that I've made, do not run from that. Because it would be like running from a shot that gives you the medicine that will save your life. So they feel this conviction and it leads them to this important question that they ask, what should we do? They recognize that there is this brokenness in them. What must we do? So Peter answers the question in verse 38, And Peter said unto them, Repent, turn from your sin and follow Jesus, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, for the forgiving or the removal of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying this, and instead of giving us the full message, we are given a summation of the rest of the message of saying this, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And that they that gladly received his words were baptized and the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And I really want to focus on that phrase, that summation of the rest of his message, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Before I get into that, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. And God, I don't believe it's any accident that you have gathered the people that are here today. And Lord, I know that in our midst, there are those that feel broken and ashamed. There are those that feel lonely or forgotten. Lord, I pray that in the midst of this message, that as I share your word, they would hear something beyond my speech, and they would hear your truth, and that you would call them to yourselves, and you would help them know that they can be forgiven and accepted and loved and welcomed and cared for in your grace and in your body, the church. Help me to speak your truth. Pray these things in your name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love a good documentary. Um, I love the 30 for 30 documentaries that ESPN puts on that are all about a specific game or an athlete. I love the documentaries that Ken Burns has put together on subjects ranging from baseball to our national parks to the Vietnam War. And I think the very best of these documentaries, they take the accounts of eyewitnesses who were there at that game or were there at the national parks or wherever, whatever it is, and bring them all together and combine them with footage and pictures and give you this kind of overview of the whole subject. And what we are reading here in Acts chapter 2 is actually a verbal written documentary. Because there's a physician named Luke who tells us in Luke chapter 1 that he has compiled all of the eyewitness accounts of those people who were around Jesus and taken the written record of Jesus' sermons, and he's compiled them for his friend Theophilus so that his friend can have an overview of the whole story of Jesus' life. In Acts chapter 1, in the first verses, he tells us the same thing is happening, that he can show Theophilus the documentary, the, the whole subject of the birth of the church. So Luke has given us a written documentary of the life of Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ's church. That's what we're reading. 
Now, Luke has 52 chapters in both his gospel and the book of Acts, and I'm tempted for us to go through every chapter like episodes on a documentary that we're binge-watching on Netflix, but we don't have time to do that. So we're going to take nine, and if you look in the front cover of your bullet's hand, there are nine pictures of the New Testament church, Jesus' church, that we're going to cover. And the first one of them is here in Acts chapter 2. And this is important, because if we're going to be faithful to our mission, and the mission of Faith Church is what? The mission of Faith Church is we are building the church, our friends and neighbors will join, and our children will lead. That's what we are doing. That's what we're about here. And if we are doing that, we need to build the church that Jesus spoke of, not the one that's in our heads. The blueprints for the church is not in my dreams. It's not on some megachurch's Instagram. It's not on the YouTube video of some incredible worship team. It's in God's Word. The blueprint for the church that we are to build is here in God's Word. And it's so important that we start here with this understanding because often in our culture today, we, we build churches based on what the most successful or popular churches are doing. And, and I could take you through a painful process of pointing out the failures of the churches that are often referred to as successful. That's not the, the model that we're going to follow. The model that we're going to follow is here. In God's Word, this is the blueprint that we need to stick to. What happens in culture is that we, we follow after people who are successful. We follow after real estate people who are successful. We follow after business leaders who are successful. And we try to emulate them. And the same thing has crept into the church. And that we try to, what the growing, fastest, biggest churches do, will do. And what happens is when we fall into those trends, whether it's in your personal business or in the church or in our marriages or in our families, is that it's popular in the moment, but then it proves to not be sustainable. It's trendy, meaning it's cool now, but in two years people will laugh at you. Right? So what are you talking about? You have clothes that you wore in high school that if you wore them to church today, we'd be like, oh my word. The only exception are the people who are currently in high school, Right? I mean, if I wore the clothes that I wore in high school, you'd laugh at me, not only because they're out of fashion, but because they're four sizes too small. <laughs> so we've got to tie our church and the structure of our church and the progress of our church and the growth of our church to something that is timeless. And, and I think we all recognize that the gospel of Jesus is timeless and the mission of Jesus is timeless. I want you to also see that the church of Jesus is timeless. It's this ancient design, structure, vision that Jesus had that lasts in every day and age. Whether it is in a culture like ours where there's freedom of religion, but a relative philosophy, or in a place like China, where just last week, as people gathered, Chinese officials came in and forced everyone to leave, took the pastor to jail, and deconstructed the sign that afternoon. The blueprint, the design, is the same both here and there. So it's fitting that Peter says in his message, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That word untoward means broken 
and corrupt. And if you have the English Standard Version of the New American Standard Bible this morning, you probably see corrupt or broken. But the idea is not just that it's messed up. The idea is that it grows in the fashion of being messed up. That it constantly pulls towards the ditch instead of staying on the straight and narrow. It regularly bends toward doing the wrong thing. The best illustration of the meaning here that I can think of is an autoimmune disease. An autoimmune disease is when your immune system turns on you and attacks you. Instead of keeping you healthy, it keeps you sick. Instead of helping your organs stay safe, it attacks your organs. And that's what the culture of the world is like. It doesn't help us grow. It constantly tears things apart. Right? And this is the very nature of the world. Things left to themselves naturally just fall apart. And this is true with the lunch that you'll eat this afternoon or the paint on the front of your house. Because if you just leave them sitting... In a couple days or in a couple decades, it'll fall apart, right? Now, hopefully none of you prepared lunch for this afternoon and just set it out on the table before you came to church so it'd be ready when you got home, right? Because what's going to happen when you get home? It's not going to be the temperature that you like, and that's not ideal. But it would be much worse if you left it out since Friday, right? Or since last Sunday, Because left to itself, left without the proper care and refrigeration and sealing, it not only goes from being less than ideal, it goes to being poison and harmful. And that's what this culture is. This culture will constantly lead us towards poison and brokenness. And this is true of every generation. It's not just true of today. It was true in Peter's day. And it's been true of every generation in between. How many of you know which generation you belong to, the title of the generation you belong to, right? Well, let me show you. They, they say the silent generation is those born 1928 to 1945. My grandmother's in that generation, and I don't think silent is ever a word <laughs> that I've used to describe it, but that's what they call that generation. Baby boomers were born 1946 to 1964. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. Millennials born 1981 to 1996, and then Generation Z, or the post-millennials, are born 97 to the present. And whoever you read after or follow, they kind of change this a little bit. Sometimes I'm included in the millennials, other times I'm too old to be a millennial. And each generation is different and has its stereotypical components that make it unique. A few years ago, our denomination at a leadership conference focused on the subject of multi-generational ministry. And they had several panels, and I was on the young guy panel, and there was an older guy panel. And the older guy panel, one of those guys read that, and then he started giving stereotypes of each generation, which only offended everybody in the room, because nobody likes to be stereotyped. And when he got to millennials, and he included me in that, he's like, they're not very mechanical. Most of them don't even know how to start a lawnmower. And I wanted to walk out of the room. Like, I don't know how to start a lawnmower. That is incredibly, that's not right. That's off base. And some of you, you would fit into the stereotype of generations, but most of us, we are still unique. What makes generations unique, different, separate, is, is not those stereotypes, 
What makes them unique is that generations are shaped by cultural moments. What I mean by that is those in that, that silent generation, they are dramatically shaped by World War II. The, the moment that, that everyone in that generation can, can think of, know where they were at when they heard the news, is when there was victory in Europe Day or victory in the Pacific. For the next generation, the boomers, it was the, the Vietnam War. And think about the drastic difference between the perception you would have of your country and your government if you live through being victorious in World War II to being somewhat victorious, somewhat losing, not sure what's honest and true in the Vietnam War. You have a very different picture of your nation, of war, dependent upon those two experiences. For millennials, for my generation, the thing that most of us can point to is September 11th. We all remember where we were in that moment, but Generation Z, the generation that comes after me, they weren't even alive. So they weren't shaped by that moment. So there are these moments that everyone can remember where they were. And so these shared cultural moments affect or shape. They don't predetermine what a generation will be like, but they heavily influence because there's something that we all can relate to and we all remember, we've all experienced. Scripture talks about generations a lot. Specifically, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he encourages parents to make sure that they pass the message and the stories of what God had done on to their children who will pass it on to their children. Because he knew that there would come a generation that hadn't walked in the desert, that hadn't seen God feed them with manna on the ground, that hadn't seen God do these miraculous things to give them the land that they lived in. And they would take it for granted. And they would forget the God who gave it to them. And Moses prophesied there will come a generation that forgets the Lord. And that's what happened. Because the generation came up that had always lived in the land of promise. They had not seen God's arm move those of Jericho and those of their, their enemies out. They had not experienced They'd grown up in that land. They'd taken it for granted. And every generation, every group of people has these shared cultural moments that shape their thinking. But what Peter is saying here in this passage is not, come to the Lord so we can all be like the generation that walked into the promised land. What Peter says here is, save yourselves from this generation, this constantly running into the ditch generation, like every other generation has had its brokenness and its particular sins and its particular default wrong thinking and broken philosophy. Save yourselves from this generation and grab a hold of a new kind of generation. See, he was offering them the opportunity to all have the same shared cultural moment. The new generation of the church has the shared moment of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, and this changes everything for everyone. 
And this moment of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried in a tomb for three days, and then raising from the dead, it's not only true for the people who lived in Peter's day, it's true for us right now. Not only true for the people who lived in Jerusalem, it's true for people who live in China whose pastor was thrown in jail last week. It's true for people who live in the United States who have the freedom of religion. This is a shared cultural moment that we all have. And it doesn't just make a difference for people who lived a long time ago. It doesn't just make a difference for people who lived in a certain area. It makes a difference for all people everywhere, everyone, everywhere, all times. This is a new kind of generation. It's a new cultural moment that we can all be part of. And for this reason, when Jesus returns, he tells them, you will go and you will share this message across every geopolitical, every geographical border for the nations in the ages to come. Because it's a message not just for here and now, but for everyone everywhere, for all time, all nations, all people, all ages. Even the moments of the greatest historical significance, like World War II, that have these powerful ramifications for multiple countries and nations in the world don't translate to generations that follow. And for that reason, there is a, there's a group of people today who are nearing the end of their life who fought against the Nazis in Germany and freed people from captivity and they watch on their televisions today as people give the Heil Hitler because there has arisen up a generation that doesn't understand the depravity of Nazi Germany. And so even that moment that affected so much of the world is being lost. But this moment of Jesus Christ raising from the dead changes everything for everyone. And for that reason, we are gathered this morning singing the praises of a Savior who rose from the dead 2,000 years ago and sending our friends and family across the world with the message of Jesus because this message, this mission, this church is timeless. And it's not just for a certain day and age. It's for all days and every age. It's a new kind of generation. It's not just for the 50s or the 70s, or the 90s, or the new millennium. It's for every day and age. I have a friend who is from a small town in Tennessee, and in that small town there was a church. The third church sign was unlike any other church sign because it had their long Baptist name, and then it had all of the things that they held as preferences. They wouldn't call them preferences, but it had things like King James only, pre-tribulation, Southern gospel singing, hymn books only. It had this long list on this sign that went down the whole side of their building. And they were letting you know before you ever walked in the door, everything that you could expect and everything they expected you to do, in fact, they included what you were to dress, how you were to dress. A new pastor came, and he didn't change the culture of the church, but he changed the sign to simply say this, church the way it used to be. Because everything that was on that sign was trying to communicate, we still do church like we did in 1955 when we started. Church the way it used to be. And every generation, I think, has this propensity, this desire to think that this generation has the answers when none of them do. None of them do. 
Every generation that we had up on the screen a moment ago, every generation was broken and lost. Peter was not saying, be a part of the new generation. He was saying, save yourself from this untoward, broken, malignant culture. Experience a new kind of generation that is timeless. If someone said, hey, Pastor Dan, do you guys do church like it used to be? I would say, well, what do you mean? Do you mean 1955? In that case, no. If you mean AD 35, man, I hope so. Because that's, that's what we're aiming for. Because the bottom line here is that the church is to be about Jesus. And so when the people asked Peter, so what do we do? How do we, how do we save ourselves from this broken, untoward generation? What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because it was about that. You see, Peter was inviting them to be a part of this new movement, which was the church, but he was inviting them to be a part of this new movement of the church by following Jesus. And that's what the church is to be about in any and every generation. It's about following Jesus. So this morning, you're at church, and that's great, but it's far better to follow Jesus. And that's true in any place, at any time. Follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.